This week we are concluding the series we started four weeks ago called What's Right With You. What's Right With You. We've been talking about the power of our thoughts, the power about being intentional about the things that we choose to think about and the things that we choose to focus on. If this is your first week with us, I'd encourage you to go onto our website listed on the back of your bulletin. You can download or stream the previous three weeks if you want to catch up later this week. We've got all the sermons recorded and posted online. Give you a quick recap, though. Week one, we talked about positivity, the power of focusing our thoughts on the things that are true and right and noble and praiseworthy, how we're always surrounded with lots of things. We can choose to think about the negative or we can choose to think about the positive. And we looked at the power of choosing to focus on the positive. Weeks two and three, we looked at the power of perspective. We looked at the importance of deciding to focus on the power and presence of God in every situation instead of the size of our obstacles or the size of our circumstances. Today, we are going to talk about perseverance. So I, I like the letter P. Can you tell we've got positivity, perspective, and now it's perseverance. We're going to talk about the importance of our thoughts when it comes to persevering through the bad times. How do we persevere when times are bad? Because there will be bad times. We've not been promised anywhere that we get to live a pain-free, problem-free existence, even as Christians, maybe especially as Christians. We've never been promised a pain-free, problem-free existence. The question is, how do we persevere? Life isn't fair. We know that. We don't always deserve the, the bad things that we experience. Our problems aren't always the result of our own poor choices or bad decisions. Sometimes they are. Sometimes we face problems because we made poor choices. But not all of the problems that we face are the result of our own poor choices. Sometimes we face problems just because we live in a world that's broken and stained with sin and stained with the consequences of sin. Jesus was pretty clear in his teaching that there is an enemy. He's called the thief. He's called the devil. He's called the adversary. And Jesus tells us that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And until Jesus returns again to fully defeat Satan once and for all, we're going to experience some of the effects of him trying to steal and kill and destroy. So we're going to experience trouble. We're going to experience some degree of trauma or tragedy or pain or problems in life. It's just, it's inevitable. We can't get around it. So the question is not, how do we avoid pain? Not today. That's because we can't. We can't avoid all pain. We can't avoid every bad situation. We can't avoid every diagnosis. We can't avoid every broken relationship. We can't avoid every failed business venture. We can't avoid every failed test necessarily. Sometimes we're going to experience something that's negative and painful and traumatic. And so the question today is how do we persevere? How do we make it through the bad times when they come up? The bad times, they don't have to take us out. They don't have to take us down. It's possible to persevere. The answer to this question comes from the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. The book of Hebrews, this New Testament document, is one of the most fascinating documents we have in the New Testament. Uh, it's fascinating because we don't necessarily know who wrote it. There are a lot of theories out there. Some people think Paul wrote it. Some people think other people wrote it. Uh, the book itself doesn't tell us. Hebrews is anonymous. Nobody says, I'm Paul, I wrote this, or I'm Priscilla, I wrote this. So we sort of have to guess. It's not all that important, but it's kind of fascinating. Um, 
Some people disagree, again, on, on what Hebrews was meant to do. Uh, some people think that Hebrews was a letter to an early church, sort of like the letters of Paul or the letters of John or the letters of Peter. And it's possible. There's elements to it that make it seem like a letter. Other people think that maybe we, what we have in Hebrews is actually the manuscript of an early sermon. Some people think that the Hebrews was actually a sermon that may have been preached in the first century, and we have the manuscript. There are elements of it that are very sermonic in nature. So we don't know for sure, but it's kind of fun to think about and kind of fun to guess. Um, the, the audience that was addressed in this, we can deduce, was mainly Jews or Hebrews who had a Jewish background. And the point of the book is to help people understand that Jesus really is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. That in Jesus, all of the promises that, that the Hebrews had been waiting for have been fulfilled in Jesus. So it's in this beautiful document, this, this sort of mysterious document, that we find the key to persevering in bad times. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, starts out like this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that cloud of witnesses is referring to all of the Hebrews, all of the Hebrew heroes of the faith in the Old Testament listed in the previous chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles... And let us run with what? Perseverance, patience, endurance, the race marked out for us. There's our word. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. The race marked out for us is a metaphor for life. If you read through the New Testament documents, the letters of Paul and other documents, the, the idea of life as a race is a common metaphor in, in the New Testament. Life as a race. Because running, like life, is an endurance sport. Those of you who have ever run cross-country or who have done track, you know that running is an endurance sport. So Paul and other New Testament writers use the concept of a race to illustrate life because we have to endure to make it through life. So the writer here says, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. So the question becomes, how do we do this? It's a, it's a good, you know, it's nice to say, right? Run with perseverance, the race that is set before us. I'm sure you're asking, though, well, how, how do we do this? It's a really good question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> if we just keep reading, that's a great principle, by the way. If you're reading through Scripture and, you, and a question comes up, one of the best things you can do is just keep reading. A lot of times those questions will answer themselves Right thereafter. So the, so the writer tells us in verse 2, the writer says, We do this by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We run with perseverance by fixing our eyes on Jesus, who's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So Jesus is our Savior. He's our Savior. He died for our sins. But he's not just our Savior. He's also our example. He's the pioneer. He's the one who showed us what perfect faith looks like, perfect obedience looks like, perfect endurance looks like. So as we look at Jesus' example, as we watch how Jesus lived, how Jesus endured, he shows us what it means to persevere. Writer goes on to say, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So the writer here is pointing specifically to Jesus' endurance of crucifixion. And the way that Jesus endured crucifixion is the way that we can endure hardship in life. He says Jesus endured the cross by focusing on the joy that was set before him. Now, I want you to think a little bit about crucifixion here. Crucifixion is one of the most agonizing, torturous, excruciating ways a person can die. As a matter of fact, the word excruciating, the English word excruciating, which means severe pain, that comes from the Latin root cruciare. Cruciare means to crucify. In other words, our English word that means severe pain comes from the act of crucifixion in Roman times. It was that painful that we've used that act to to be the word that demonstrates severe pain. So Jesus was able to endure this agony, this suffering, this severe pain by focusing on the joy that was set before him. Now, I want to make a clear distinction here so that you don't hear what I'm not saying. The cross was not joyful. That's not what the author is saying. The author is not saying that Jesus saw the cross as joyful. There was no joy in in the act of being nailed to the cross and being beaten by Roman soldiers. That's not what Jesus is saying. It wasn't that the the act of crucifixion was, was enjoyable. Jesus didn't enjoy that act. It was the joy that was beyond the pain. Jesus focused on the joy that was beyond the pain. And when he looked at that, when he looked at the hope, when he looked at the joy on the other side of the pain, that gave him the strength he needed to endure the suffering of the cross. So what was the joy that was beyond the pain? Well, Jesus knew that his work was going to have lasting effects, that that by going through what he was doing, that he was paving the way for people like you and me to have a lasting relationship with God. He knew that what he was enduring was going to be used for a purpose, that his pain and his suffering had a purpose, and that God would be able to use that then to help you and I come into a lasting relationship with God. So Jesus knew that what he was enduring wasn't pointless, but that there was a point to the pain, that it could be transformed and used for a purpose. Alongside of that, Jesus knew that the pain and the death that would follow was only temporary. Jesus knew that God had promised to raise him from the dead and that if he made it through this, if he endured through this terrible, excruciating pain of the crucifixion, that God had promised to raise him from the dead and that he would get to share in glory at the right hand of the Father for eternity. So when he compared his present pain with his future glory, he knew that that joy, that glory set before him, that that gave him the strength and the power to endure. So the writer goes on to say, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, very few of us, if any of us, are ever going to be crucified. So uh, we're never going to experience the level of pain, the level of shame, the level of agony and suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross. But we're going to experience our own tragedy, our own trauma, our own suffering from time to time. And the way that we endure without losing heart is by focusing on Jesus and doing what he did. If Jesus was able to look at the joy that was set before him, if he was able to look beyond the pain to the joy and the glory that would follow, if that gave him the strength to endure, well, then we can do the same thing. 
we can look beyond the pain of our present circumstances to the joy that's set before us. And that, like Jesus, will give us the strength to endure. What I love about this is there's a principle in this that works for everyone, Christian, non-Christian alike. I'll give you an example. When I work as a hospital chaplain, I'll go into patients' rooms who are dealing with uh, illness and injury, and they're laid up in the hospital bed. And one of the first things that I'll ask them, I'll say, what are you looking forward to doing most when you get out of here? A lot of times that question kind of catches them by surprise because they're not focused on getting out. They're focused on their present circumstances, the, the illness and the pain and, and the, the suffering that they're currently going through. But I ask them to focus on Think about, what are you looking forward to doing most when you get out? Because we know that that change in mindsets, that change in focus, actually helps them recover better in the present. Focusing on what they want to do later gives them the strength they need, the mental strength that they need to do the the hard work of healing. We know that there's a mind-body connection, that the thoughts that we think affect how we feel physically. And so when I ask the patients, what are you thinking about, what are you looking forward to doing most, it helps them to become hopeful that they will not be stuck in the hospital forever, that they will get to do the things they like to do again. And that gives them the strength they need to endure, and it actually helps them heal faster. There's... There's data that backs that up. It's true. I want to give you uh, another example. How many of you have heard of the man named Louis Zamperini? Anybody heard of Louis Zamperini? Nobody? I can tell you a story you haven't heard about? Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you an assignment. After this sermon, this week, I want you to rent the movie Unbroken. It uh, just came out within the past couple of years. It's called Unbroken. It's the story of Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini was an Olympic runner in the 1930s. Uh, he started out as a real troublemaker. If you read his biography, if you read uh, Unbroken, which is the biography of him, or Don't Give Up, Don't Give In, which is his own autobiography, talks about how he was a real troublemaker growing up. He was always causing all kinds of trouble, and he was good at it, and he could get away with it. So he was a real troublemaker. But he, uh, his family could see that his life was headed nowhere fast. So he had an older brother who encouraged him to join the track team. Uh, so he started running, and he soon realized that he was really good at running. He started winning all of these races. It looked like he was going to be the one to break the four-minute mile. He went to the Olympics in Berlin in 1936, I believe, if I remember correctly. A great runner. He didn't win the Olympics, but he went. So this great Olympic runner. And then what happened in the early 1940s? World War II, Right? World War II. So in World War II, uh, Louis Zamperini joined the Army Air Corps. He joined the Army Air Corps. He uh, joined to to get involved in the war. And he began working on board warplanes. And then on May 27th of 1943, while he was aboard one of these planes that was on a search and rescue mission, his plane went down in the Pacific Ocean. The plane crashed in the Pacific Ocean. Eight of the 11 members were killed immediately. Louis, the pilot, and one other crew member survived. That last crew member died shortly thereafter. But, uh, so these three found themselves stranded in the middle of the Pacific Ocean on a little life raft. They were stranded in a life raft for 47 days in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. 47 days. That's a month and a half. With very few supplies, they had to catch birds that would land. They had to catch sharks. They had to fend off sharks. So they they had to endure this terrible suffering stranded in the middle of the ocean. Uh, When he talks about this time, Louis talks about the fact that one of the things that they would do to make it through is they would constantly ask each other, what are you going to do when the war is over? 
What are your plans after the war? Because they knew that they had to hold on to hope. They had to focus on the things that, were, that, that they wanted to do. That idea that maybe they'd get to do the thing that they loved again gave them the strength they needed to endure the present pain of being stranded in the middle of the ocean. That was one of the things that, that gave them the hope that they needed, the anchor they needed to hold on and make it through. So after 47 days of being stranded in the ocean, they were finally rescued by the Japanese in the middle of World War II. It's not a good thing. The Japanese were not known for being super friendly to prisoners of war in World War II. And so for the next two years, Louis Zamperini was in a Japanese prison of war camp. And he had one of the guards there, one of the leaders of the camp, singled him out specifically for extra torture and extra brutality. He was just beat over and over again. He was humiliated and treated shamefully for two years um, it, it nearly killed him. He was just humiliated and beat physically and, and emotionally, just abused in every way that you can think of. And he had to endure that for two years. All of this happened, by the way, before Louis Zamperini ever became a Christian, before he had ever placed his trust in his faith in Christ. All of this happened before he ever became a Christian. Uh, and yet he talks about that it was the power of hope that enabled him to survive this awful, awful situation. This is a quote from his autobiography, Don't Give Up, Don't Give In. He says, you must have hope. It rejuvenates your whole being. You can't allow negative thinking, even if you know your chances are slim. I'm not saying it's easy to do, but the ability to envision the road to successful completion is what keeps you alive. Hope provides the power of the soul to endure. Hope provides the power of the soul to endure. This was coming from the man who endured this before he was even a Christian. He knew that if he could look beyond the pain to the joy that was set before him, he could endure years of agony and years of suffering by focusing on the hope that was set before him. Now, just like Jesus knew that his suffering had a purpose, that his suffering would accomplish a greater purpose, we too can trust that God can work in the midst of our suffering for our good. As a matter of fact, once Louis became a Christian, his favorite verse became Romans chapter 8, verse 28. This was Louis Zamperini's favorite verse. He says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now again, don't hear what I'm not saying. This isn't saying that God causes all things. That's not what this is saying, that God causes all things. God doesn't cause all all the bad things that happen to us. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what Louis saying. It's not what I'm saying. It's not the point. We're going to experience bad things. But what this tells us is that in all things, in all things, God can work for our good. God can work for our good. Even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of suffering, God in his infinite grace and mercy and glory can draw out something good and something beautiful from the midst of suffering and agony. You probably know this to be true. At some point in your life, you probably experienced something that was painful and agonizing in your life. And if you look back, you'd never wish it on anybody else in the world. You wouldn't want to go through it again if you had the chance. But if you look back, you know that it did something for you. 
that you're a stronger person because of what you endured. I see this all of the time in the hospital. I meet with families and patients who have, who have experienced just terrible tragedy in their life, and they say, you know what, I wouldn't wish this on anybody else in the world. I wouldn't ever want to go through it again, but God was able to do something in the midst of this. I have a deeper trust, a deeper faith in God than I ever would have had I not gone through this to begin with. God was able to use this situation to bring my family together in a way that we, we haven't been together in years. And it's not that God causes the bad things to happen, but that God is so good that even in the midst of these, he's able to draw something out. So, so just like Jesus knew that there was an ultimate purpose to his suffering, we can trust that God can use our, our suffering, our terrible times, to do something good in us and through us because he's that good. Uh, the same is true for Louis Zamperini. Later on in life, he was able to, he had open door to preach the gospel to hundreds, if not thousands of people in his life, famous people. He opened up camps for young boys who were at risk. And he's, he was able to use his story to teach people that it is possible to overcome your circumstances, to overcome your conditions, and to really do something with your life. He was able to demonstrate the power of God in his own life in a way that he never would have been able to do had he not gone through the things that he had gone through. Now, he wouldn't wish those on anybody else, but he knows that because he went through that, he had something to offer that he wouldn't have had to offer otherwise. So he, his, he knew that his suffering was able to be transformed for a purpose in God's hands. Now, uh, you ask, well, well, what kind of good? What possible kind of good can come from this kind of suffering? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, he says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. You think, well, wait a second. Why in the world would we glory in our sufferings? That doesn't make any sense. Good question. Paul says, because we know that suffering produces what? Perseverance. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. As we go through suffering, suffering produces in us perseverance. And that perseverance builds in us a character, especially if we can interpret it the right way and allow God to use it in our lives for transformative purposes. And that character builds hope. And it's that hope that Louis Zamperini told us gives us the power of the soul to endure. Now, I told you a few minutes ago that I love this principle because it's a principle that works for Christians and non-Christians alike. And that's true. It does. But what I love even more is there's, there's a particular part of this principle that only works for Christians. I told you that one of the things that gave Jesus the power to endure was the fact that he knew that his suffering and his death was only temporary. That by going through this, that God was going to raise him from the dead and that he would get to spend eternity at the right hand of the Father in glory. Well, for those of us who are Christians, we know that no matter what we experience in this life, for those of us who have placed our trust in Christ, we know that no matter how bad things get in this life, no matter how painful things become, no matter how terrible things may be at this present moment, we know that the, the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that we're going to get to share for eternity. We have the promise of eternal life with God in glory. If you have placed your trust in Christ, and if you haven't, I invite you to do that right now, because for those of us who have placed our trust in Christ, we have the promise that no matter what we go through in this present moment, everything will be set right. 
that God has promised a time when there's going to be no more sorrow and no more pain and no more tears. And in that day when everything is set right, we will get to experience eternity with God in glory. And so the Apostle Paul tells us that we know that the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that should follow. That in no way diminishes the present sufferings. That means that even if things are awful, as good as it's going to be, it's going to pale in comparison. The sufferings will pale, in compar- will pale in comparison to the glory that follows. So here's the bottom line, and it comes straight from Louise. Hope provides the power of the soul to endure. Perseverance. We persevere by fixing our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Hope provides the power of the soul to endure. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, we just thank you for this example, the example of Jesus Christ, your Son, who went to the cross on our behalf to pay the price for our sins, Father, and not only to be our Savior, but to be our examples. Father, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us to learn from that example, to to realize that even though we have to experience some sort of suffering while we continue to live in this in this broken, sin-stained world, that as we look to you, that we can fix our eyes on you. We can know that you are at work, even in our suffering, to bring about things for our good. Father, that as we know that if we've placed our trust in Christ, that you have promised for us glory for eternity. Father, help us to endure. Help us to fix our eyes on you. Father, in a world that encourages us to focus on everything that's wrong, help us to focus on what's right with us. I pray for these things in Jesus' most powerful name. Amen.